0: Jesse, how's it going? Pretty good,
1: Katie. But I have a, I have a favorite ask.
0: Oh fuck, the answer's no. Already, the answer's no.
1: Katie, have you heard of a great sport called football?
0: I have heard of it. Yes.
1: So. My team is the New England Patriots, America's team, as they're commonly known. You
0: have so many flaws. <laughs> even I, like, I am not a football lover, but even I know that this is the wrong team to be a fan of.
1: Katie, here I am, sitting here in my cargo shorts, like an everyday American, hardworking, listening to Ska, watching the Patriots, and you're acting like I'm not the most relatable person on this podcast.
0: You're not, Jesse.
1: Here's the thing, Katie. Here's my favorite. So I want to watch the Patriots. They're not usually on in New York. There's a thing called NFL Sunday Ticket. I could pay $300 to be able to watch these games on my TV. I, this can maybe be tax deductible if you let me talk about football for 30 seconds per podcast for the next few weeks. Absolutely not. 30 seconds. Absolutely You can not. set a strict timer. Absolutely not. Katie, I can't okay, not. what if I split no. the savings with you? No. Katie? No. Katie? No. Katie? No. I emailed no. – I literally no. – Katie. I emailed our shared accountant. And she gave me the green light. I can literally have a tax-deductible thing. You can set a timer for 30 seconds. I'll also let you hum during it so that you don't even have to hear me.
0: Okay, if it's tax-deductible for you to talk about football for 30 seconds, it should, talk, it should be tax-deductible for me to talk about disappearing lesbians for 30 seconds on every show.
1: If you then order a book about disappearing lesbians, you can then write it off.
0: You know, that book has not been written yet. I did see someone, a friend of the podcast today, DM'd me uh, a uh, Publishers Weekly. Is that what it is? The announcement about a new book being published about the end of the lesbian bar. Not quite the end of the lesbian. And I'm very curious to see how this author uh, circles the trans issue – When it comes to lesbian bars, but I didn't publish the book or I didn't pitch the book.
1: Doesn't the – yeah, the end of lesbian bars. So that means the lesbians are just scattering into the night if they're not disappearing. I don't even get how you can have one without the other.
0: We got married. That's the issue.
1: That's true. It's a very Um, short book. Okay. So I'm hearing a soft yes on the football thing and we'll revisit it next week. Absolutely not. Okay, Katie, what's up with your face? You've been tweeting about it.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I did not anticipate getting the outcry of uh, hope and prayers and support when I tweeted this. But yes, I recently this week, I had a chunk of flesh removed from my face. And so I look even more like Omar Little. I know that people often think that I look like Omar Little, but now I really look like Omar Little.
1: The first time we met, I was like, Is that Omar Little from the wire? Where is your yeah. your sawed off shotgun? Uh so what what happened to your face that led to the flesh being removed?
0: Um something grew on it. It was very like nobody could see it, and I went and I except for me, and I went to a dermatologist and he told me to go to a doctor, and the doctor said to go to a surgeon and then I went to the surgeon and he cut my face off. So now I have a I'm going to have a giant about like a four inch scar straight across my cheek. Which I've gotten some messages from people saying like, you must be really upset about this. And honestly, no. Once again, I'm married.
1: <laughs> I mean, you are for now, <laughs> like.
0: For now, for now.
1: To, to be, just to be 100% clear, as of now, the thing on your face was what? It, it, do we know it's, it, you're safe?
0: Uh, we don't know what it is, but it's probably not going to kill me.
1: Okay. That's all they tell you.
0: Yeah. They, apparently it's very common with like skin cancers that they never find out. If it's cancer or not, they did like multiple biopsies and they still don't know what it is. But it's probably not going to kill me.
1: But they know that it's not, they, well, okay, not going to kill you, but they know it's not like dangerous. They don't know what it is. Oh. Okay. Well, I hope they find out soon.
0: Well, they got it all, so that's fine. And I look like I'm more little now.
1: I had a, I have someone close to me who was recently diagnosed with quote unquote cancer, but it almost felt, This is mean. It's scary either way, but it almost felt laughable to call it cancer because the treatment was put cream on it for eight weeks and then it will go away and it hadn't spread at all and it posed him no threat.
0: Right? Yeah. This is. I mean, skin cancer aside from melanoma, skin cancer is obviously a very different thing than you know the thing that killed your mother. Um, But yes, now I I guess I can say I'm a survivor.
1: (laughs) It's like it's almost like we need some sort of system to rate the severity of cancers. We should come up with that. (laughs)
0: Maybe 1 to 4?
1: Katie, what is the name of this uh Mistake and Uncertainty Adult Podcast?
0: This is Black and Reported and I'm Katie Hershal.
1: I'm Jesse Single. Katie, we often talk about different things on this podcast. What are what are some of the things we'll be tackling this week?
0: Today, we are talking about women. Do they exist? Mhm. Uh, I, I don't know if you should
1: use the W
0: word. People, do they exist? We're going to be talking about a recent recent essay in the New York Times, also about the W word. We're also going to be answering the eternal question, is there such thing as a non-binary conservative?
1: Yes, uh, but first a couple – an annoyingly uh, – just some like minor corrections, clarifications ranging from small to medium. These are from the last uh, couple episodes. Last episode we talked about the Supreme Court
0: um, – we should just have a regular episode called Katie's Correction Corner or something like that. We fuck <laughs> K <laughs> K <K-K-K>, yeah.
1: <laughs> with cutesy letters like the uh uh crusty there's a version of that of the Simpsons the crusty comedy something <laughs> with Katie. Anyway. <laughs> Katie's Correction Corner just like a cartoon <laughs> you looking very sheepish. With a little hard over. it. Well, I tut tut. Uh okay. This is, this is a little thing someone pointed out is accurate. We, we sort of misdescribed the Supreme Court ruling about SB8, the Texas abortion thing. It, it was apparently they, they didn't comment or, or rule on the case because of some technicality. I think we made it sound like more they weighed the merits. They didn't. By way we, they mean, you mean I think you. it was me. I honestly don't even remember. I genuinely don't. <laughs> um, I
0: knew it was you.
1: We also talked about, uh, when we talked about Docker, uh, the article by the guy who wrote the fake Dear Prudy letters.
0: Uh, Bennett Madison.
1: Yes. There was a quote he did about, um, close personal friend of the podcast, Daniel Ortberg, basically, Lavery, Lavery formerly Ortberg, nay Ortberg. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I don't care. The, um, that person saying, uh, chiding someone for having called the cops as, as a result of a home invasion. We repeated that, that it was a home invasion. The actual details, Or that it was kids breaking into an abandoned and foreclosed home, which is a little bit – it is a little bit different. That is different. I went through a journey because I wanted to check this. So I went to Slate. I found out you had to be a Slate Plus member to read that old Dear Prudy. I was Journey like, nope. over. I went to incognito mode. I still got the paywall. I was nope. Then I, I noped out as the kids say. Then I saw someone posted it to Reddit. So I just, I'll include a link to the Reddit. I'm not going to make, ask any of you to subscribe to Slate Plus. That would be a sin. Uh, okay. So yeah, we should have been more clear about that or we should have gotten that right. And then the last that, thing.
0: Okay. I feel like that is our fault for not clicking through the links at the Gawker with the Gawker piece. So to be clear, what happened for people who didn't listen to the last episode, a guy who wrote in lots of fake advice questions to the slate advice column, dear Prudence was listing sort of a rundown of dear Prudence's advice. And at one point, dear Prudence, who was Daniel Lavery said, uh, someone, according to the guy who wrote the piece, Bennett Madison, someone broke into a home Daniel's advice – and then called the cops and Daniel's advice was like, well, you can't take back what you did. So clearly we did not click on the link. I did not click on the link. I take full respons- responsibility for that.
1: In our defense, they were – he was asking us to click on a link to a Daniel Lavery, Dear Prudence, and to Slate. I mean – Right. There's a paywall. It's like if someone's like um, – that—that there's a cool statue in the back of that house that's full of rabid rats. You'll have to wade through the rabid rats. I'll take someone's word for it. There's a cool statue there. I'm not going to go check for myself. That was a really good analogy, by the way. That's right off the dome.
0: Gawker should have uh, Gawker should have done a better job of vetting that particular part. Um, but also, once again, good example of confirmation bias. I assumed it was true because I assume everything bad about Daniel Laver is true.
1: We also referenced a couple episodes ago this situation involving Carson Griffith. She was one of the staffers at Gawker 2.0 back when it was going to a initially relaunch in like 2019-ish. We referenced a Daily Beast article about her supposedly saying offensive stuff. There's currently a lawsuit underway. She is suing Max Tandy, the author of that article, and then Daily Beast uh, editor Noah Shackman. This would be a whole thing to get into. There will be – the lawsuit is progressing. I think it's going to be juicy. There are a couple of things the Daily Beast seems to have like really distorted here. We'll restrict them to the show notes. But the, the short version is I think people listening to this might have assumed Carson Griffith is like credibly accused of having done something wrong. I think there might be nothing here. It's like really fucked up. And again, we'll have show notes that include like a slack log that show what we're talking about. It would just be a whole 25 minute thing to get into here. Uh, I don't want to do that. I do want to, to, we should have been clear about that because I don't want people to get the sense that we agree that Carson Griffith did something wrong.
0: Once again, don't believe anything that you read on the internet. Do believe what everything you, you hear on the podcast. A
1: podcast. <laughs> no, honestly, yeah, our own, our own credibility. <laughs> Uh, okay, so on to the, the, that was the bread. Now we're getting to the tasty meat of the show. What are we going to talk about?
0: Okay, first, Jesse, I found the non-binary conservative.
1: Yeah, I forget how this came up, but we basically, what was the context here?
0: Um, there probably wasn't much context. At one point, I said that I realized that there was no such thing as a non-binary conservative. And what that told me is that non-binary is a political identity, not a gender identity. You, I think, then argued that's because the concept of non-binary is very new, and maybe in 20 years or 30 years, there will be lots of conservative non- non-binary people, conservative MBs. Anyway, we put out a call looking for conservative MBs, and we actually heard from one.
1: Nice. So what do they say?
0: Let's just play uh, this interview. I have to apologize for the quality of the audio. I called him on the phone.
2: Hello?
3: Hey, is this is Justin.
2: Hi, yes, this is.
3: Hey, this is Katie. Um, you're being recorded right now. Is that okay?
2: Yep, that's totally fine.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for for answering my call to uh, to find the unicorns to find the non-binary conservative. <laughs>
2: yeah, thank you for your call. You know, that's um that's a the comment that like no one can find a non-binary conservative person. I've heard like so many different people especially, like, podcast people say it, and I'm always, like, like screaming it to the wind, like, somebody, please.
3: So tell me about yourself. So all I know about you is that you are you go by pronouns they, them? Um, so
2: I actually don't really do the pronoun thing. Um, I do consider myself non-binary, um, <clears throat> agender specifically. But I actually I tried to go by the pronoun thing in high school, and it kind of felt like a gender, and it had rules like the other genders. And so I was like, this seems like the same thing I'm getting away from. Uh-huh. you can call me whatever okay, so, he she they them whatever okay
3: so uh what does it mean to you to be non-binary why do you identify that way
2: uh so for me essentially the way i look at it is that um <clears throat> uh well first is like the difference between sex and gender um i'm conservative so i'm not one of those that's like sex isn't real or whatever like i think sex um is obviously obviously exists and it's binary but the way it expresses itself through society um is gender um <clears throat> and i think that it, that Essentially, being somebody that's agender is just somebody that uh, I've just naturally, the way my brain works, I'm happier and I serve society better when I just kind of opt out of the gender rules that we have for society. Um, And I carry myself very much like with feminine qualities, masculine qualities or anything in between, just because I kind of don't think about whether or not things are feminine or masculine because I don't really care about it.
3: Okay, so tell me, describe your sort of look. Like, what do you dress like in a, on an on any day? Would somebody walking down the street be able to tell that you're non-binary or a gender?
2: So it definitely depends. Um, so I am. I'm from Florida. I'm from a teeny tiny town called Interlochen, um, and I, I'm a I'm a working guy. So I a lot of the times I'm kind of dressed like a redneck, really, boots and jeans, look very uh-huh. much like a straight guy, really. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, like when I go out, when I go out to the bars, I do like to get dressed up and I'll do the full, like high heels, makeup, really do my hair. I have oh. an afro so I can pull off many looks. Um, so I do a whole range. Like it really depends. Cause one thing that I don't like, I don't think that I have to go out of my way to look a gender. That was one thing in high school that I realized, like, I don't really care if anybody realizes that I am it. I just care that I know that I am it.
3: And what's your sexuality?
2: Uh, queer. I'm definitely I'm attracted to men.
3: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So for you, what is the difference between being a gay man and being an agender queer person? So
2: <clears throat> I think a big difference is definitely the way you move in society, like queer uh, gay men are definitely are still men and you can feel all of the masculine behaviors and qualities in them. Um, In in, in the way they move and in the way they have relationships for me as an agender person. And I think it's really different for every uh, agender person or non-binary person. Um, For me, it's like, you know, in relationships, I'm very much happy to take on a lot of the feminine roles or maybe what what can be considered the traditionally feminine roles if they're just things that I want to do. And the way that I talk to my friends, I tend to uh, vibe with women a lot more. Women tend to kind of include me in their groups a lot more
3: do you know anyone else like you who fits into those demographic characteristics
2: no i don't think so the few non-binary people i do know um i know one that's centrist he's really more, he definitely leans more liberal um mm-hmm. but that's that's the closest i've ever gotten every all the other trans people i've met in my life were like far far liberal
3: Mhm. and so tell me about your conservative politics like what are you like socially conservative or fiscally conservative where does that fit into this
2: so I think the two biggest things for me uh, that I think represent conservatism that kind of lead my outlook are um, general personal freedoms. I think that, like, it should be very, very hard for the government to limit personal freedom. So that that means things like gun control. I think they shouldn't really have a say, very much of a say in gun control. Um, obviously, there's extremes that, you know, but uh, oh, yeah, free, freedom of speech. But that's a big thing that I think that the left is kind of become an enemy of yeah. right now. Um, Those traditional freedoms that are in the Constitution, I'm very much very much about those kind of a constitutional fundamentalist, not totally, because I do think amendments are obviously necessary sometimes. Um, And then also like the size of the government, I'm very much a traditional conservative in that I just think the size of the federal government should be very small. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also don't tend to think that uh, like social uh, social programs are necessarily the way to fix a lot of the problems that we have in this country. I tend Mm -hmm. to kind of follow philosophy of like hard work and giving people the tools that they need to do hard work rather than giving people money. Mm -hmm. Gotcha.
3: And in the queer community that you're in, how do people react when they find out that you're conservative?
2: It's often pretty, you know, except for the couple friends that I have that have gotten to know me, my perspective a little bit more. When it comes to queers that I don't know, uh, queers that I've, like, gotten to arguments with classes that I didn't really know and online and stuff, it's usually pretty vitriolic, honestly. Mm-hmm. You don't, I haven't found many uh, queer people that are willing to listen or to even, like, have conversations when I'm not exactly coming from. With the trans issue and specifically, um, mm-hmm. I tend to think that the trans community uh, has a lot of real, like, Real academic work to be done to really define what being trans is and like mm-hmm. what where do we fit in society? How does it compare to where we've found trans people historically? And I think part of that work is like the community being willing to accept criticism and like, for instance, realize that like every single gender pronoun you come up with under the sun can't be valid. Otherwise, this isn't real, you know? Statements like mm-hmm. that tend to get I, I tend to not get the great rea- get the best reaction I get accused of like being brainwashed by like straight culture or the patriarchy or you know working for straight people against my own people. I get the same thing from black stuff I get called an uncle Tom and a tap dancer and all kinds of stuff a
3: tap dancer I've never heard that one yeah <laughs> yeah I think I'm pretty
2: sure it's like a reference to the minstrel shows when they used to tap yeah it. yeah
3: yeah, um okay, interesting. So do you uh, do you vote Republican
2: or do you vote? Um, So I I mixed my ballot, actually. I've only voted once this last election, Um, but I mixed my ballot Um, last election. I actually skipped the presidential because I was very much like I just didn't see the point. I I felt like it was too. I'm a conservative, but I don't think Donald Trump is a conservative. So I wasn't for him. Mm -hmm. Biden is like a whole a whole can of sour apples. So. I skipped the presidential, the vice presidential, and I actually voted locally. Um, I I just did like all my local stuff, and I I mixed I mixed the ballot. I went and looked for people who that I thought would be the better candidates. I think I did end up voting for majority Republicans, although I didn't really keep track.
3: Okay, gotcha. Where uh, where can people find your art?
2: Uh, prod dot com, uh, a l e x j p r o d. dot com.
3: Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Anything else you want people to know about uh about you? The the only existing non-binary conservative definitely the only existing <laughs> well, black non-binary conservative you are a, you are a, <laughs> yeah. a man in your own category <laughs> um i mean i would just
2: hope that um you know if this ends up on your podcast or anything i would just hope that uh what, what i would like for people to get out of it is that like your political leadings are not they, they're they not related to your identity Either your racial or your sexual or gender identity They shouldn't be Those identities should happen Completely separately from your politics And I think this thing where You know Democrats are telling us That they're fighting for us I think it's obviously a lie You know and mm-hmm. I think that we should be As a community we should be more aware of that the The fact that like The politicians and the media and the things that say they're fighting for us, they're fighting for their paychecks. They don't really care about the trans community, and they're leading us down some roads that I think are pretty dangerous.
3: All right, Justin, well, you are a truly independent thinker, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me.
2: Thank you so much. All
3: right, Jesse,
0: we finally had a black, non-binary, conservative, working class artist on the show I've been waiting to fill that niche.
1: This was our goal from the first time we potted together.
0: Exactly, and we have fulfilled it. Show over. Uh,
1: yeah, no, we, uh, they seem like a really nice kid. I mean, and and had obviously had interesting things to say about occupying such a unusual niche. I, I I bet this jumped out at you too, but I think it went back to that same thing of like the question of if you don't identify with stereotypical aspects of one gender or another, does that mean you are not or cannot be that thing?
0: Right. It- absolutely jumped out of me. And this is my whole complaint about the non-binary identity is that I think it's fundamentally regressive. I also think that his politics are probably more in line with libertarianism than sort of classic cultural conservatism. Um, So I'm not like we still haven't found the non-binary Trump supporter. That's what I want to find.
1: The non-binary. Yeah. Yeah. That would be if you're a non-binary Trump supporter, hit us up. We'd like to hear from you.
0: Black Reported at gmail.com. Wait, no. Black and Reported Podcast, podcast at, gmail.com. at gmail.com. Yep. Can't forget that. Jesse, you might have seen this recently, but the ACLU had a very interesting tweet to celebrate – or I'm sorry, to mourn the one-year anniversary of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Did you see this?
1: Yeah. They, they posted a really inspiring quote from RBG. Do you want me to read it? I have it up in front of me. Please do. Okay. There's some brackets here that I, I'm curious about. So I'll just say bracket when a word is bracketed. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a bracket person's life to bracket their well-being and dignity. When the government controls that decision for bracket people, bracket they are being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for bracket their own choices. That's a lot of brackets. Why did uh, RBG need to be bracketed so heavily?
0: Well, Jesse, because they were expurgating a very offensive term.
1: Ruth Bader Ginsburg was using like a racial slur in her quotes? What?
0: It, yeah, it was actually a transphobic slur. The word is woman.
1: I, I am outraged. And what, what's even worse is a year ago, right after she died, they just printed that quote in its normal form using disgustingly bigoted words like her and women.
0: Why don't you read the quote as Ruth Bader Ginsburg actually said it?
1: The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. When government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. So as I I wrote in my newsletter, they took a quote about women not being treated as fully autonomous adult humans capable of making their own choices about their bodies – and removed all references to women. women.
0: Right. So, uh, as you would imagine, the response to this ACL tweet, ACLU tweet was extremely negative. I got one text from somebody saying, I finally did it. I canceled my mo- monthly membership to the ACLU about this over this particular tweet. It's almost like the ACLU Twitter is run by trolls or like an operative who actually hates the ACLU and wants the ACLU to lose donors
1: I mean I just don't think it's restricted solely to like the people running social media accounts now th- this shit is completely endemic like you find you're finding in these sorts of contexts the word women is just not used anymore J- just as like sort of a- an informal experiment I Googled uh, Vox's coverage of SB8 the this abortion bill targeting Texan women they did five articles. Four of them did not contain the word women, except uh, like in the names of organizations. Yeah.
0: Right. And then today, The Lancet, one of the top medical journals in the world, published uh, on Twitter a screenshot of their new issue. And on the cover, there's a big quote, and it says, historically, the anatomy and physiology of bodies with vaginas have been neglected. Bodies with vaginas.
1: That honestly sounds like, because it's a medical journal, a situation where a body grows a vagina somewhere where it shouldn't.
0: That's what was on my face.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Dude, it's like really bodies. And to put that on the cover of The Lancet, like what is going on? And
0: That's the only thing that's on the cover. It's just this pull quote.
1: It's so fucking It's not
0: even a picture of a body with a vagina. It's just that quote. Okay, so – Obviously, the ACLU, the Lancet, they're not alone. Cory Bush, representative from Missouri, I believe, uh, recently used the term birthing bodies. Planned Parenthood has used this term. The, the CDC, they've all adopted these terms. Birthing bodies, menstruating people. AOC recently used the term menstruating people on Anderson Cooper. Jesse, do you want to uh, explain that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, is, on Anderson Cooper responding to the Texas abortion law and is basically saying, she says something like, I don't want to have to give a biology one on national TV. And then she talks about menstruators. Uh, and, and it's just, it's just fucking bizarre that they can't say women. It's so weird that that word is now stigmatized, especially given there's obviously some times when like language over sex and gender are fuzzy. But this is not one of them. When you say women need access to tampons, you're talking about adult human females. That is one, that is the definition of this term. And this is not an example of it being at all ambiguous. What it means that, that includes you if you're a female, whatever, however you identify. None of this has anything to do with how people identify.
0: Right. So the question is, why are these organizations and people doing this? And, uh, we have possibly an answer. In a recent article in The Atlantic, this is by a writer named Emma Green, it's called The Culture War Over Pregnant People. Some advocates on the left want America to talk about pregnancy and birth in gender neutral terms, but this language change might not be so easy for the country to embrace. And this is an interview with the ACLU uh, Deputy Legal Director named uh, Louise Melling. So I want to read you just the first paragraph of this piece, because it, it, it sort of – um. It does a good job of uh, illustrating the conflict. Last year, a brand new labor and delivery hospital opened on the well-to-do Upper East Side of New York City. Its name, the Alexandra Cohen Hospital for Women and Newborns, might strike most people as innocuous or straightforward, but to some people, the suggestion that a hospital where babies are born is for women is offensive because transgender and non-binary people who do not identify as women can also get pregnant and deliver babies." And, uh, she continues with a Q and A with Louise Melling. Um, and there are some, I think, illustrative points in this interview. Jesse, what did you think about this?
1: I mean, it sounded like the interviewer, like, was almost nervous to ask if there could be any downsides there and always couched it as like, oh, what, what do you say when conservatives say this or that? It, it people, people, I, I, there's no polling, but people seem to despise this language. People don't want to be called menstruators, or pre- people don't even like the much softer pregnant people because it just sounds jilted. And you sort of need to be able to talk about women for any sort of basic feminist analysis of all the the ways women get fucked over around the world and girls. It's it's so weird to me.
0: Right. Both Emma Green and Louise Melling seem to have this idea that the only people who are who object to this are conservatives, which is not true. I mean, you can see from the the response to the ACLU tweet that this isn't true. A lot of women who are not Ann Romney don't like this. It's alienating. And so Emma Green does ask uh, Louise Melling about this. At one point, she asks, this may be an unwelcome imaginative, imaginative exercise, but I wonder if you have spent time thinking about why this makes some people on the right, of course, she says on the right, so Matt, why do you think people care about this? Melling says. Look, why do people get mad when people marry the person they love? If you want to have a child on your own, why do people get mad? If you fall in love with somebody of another race? I think there may be some people who are confused at first. Changes in language have to come with education. But for those prominent politicians, whether it's on abortion rights or transgender rights or voting rights, there's clearly an effort to have society be more narrow in imagination and inclusivity.
1: That's like so Bad faith. It's just sort of ridiculous, laughably so.
0: So Melling never seems to grapple with the fact that this terminology, pregnant people, or, for instance, asking people their pronouns – makes most people uncomfortable. And this is especially true in a healthcare setting, where it's important that people are comfortable. So by making a tiny percentage of the population more comfortable by, say, asking someone's pronouns or using terminology like birthing language, you're making the vast majority of other people uncomfortable. And this is especially true among old people, among non-native speakers, people who aren't on Twitter, and people who need to be made made to feel comfortable within a healthcare setting, especially. So she just doesn't seem to grapple with this at all in her imagination. It's only like arch conservatives who are uncomfortable with this language, which is just like, talk to your fucking grandma. Yeah. It's just not
1: true. It's like, sure, if everyone's mad about something, some of the people who are mad about it might have bad politics or politics you disagree with, but, but th- this language does not come across as natural. And as of now, people don't like it. It's your, if you want to change it, you need to make the case for it. Don't just assume anyone who disagrees is a bigot.
0: Exactly. It is, it does come across as authoritarian and also not organic in the slightest. It's sort of like saying all lives matter instead of black lives matter, right? Like, yeah. Yes. It is possible for trans men to get pregnant. They're still female, but it's, that's why they can get pregnant. But it is taking the focus away from this specific population.
1: But, but trans, the point I made in my newsletter is trans men are incl- when you say women getting pregnant, it just means, it just means adult right. human females. If people are that offended, they, sh- we should say females, but they'll say to no to that because they, they have a weird belief system where Trans men who give birth are also not female. That's genuinely what they believe. It doesn't make sense, but yeah.
0: I mean, that's my solution. If the term "women" is is offensive, just use the term "female." That's all encompassing. That's talking about every percentage of the population who could possibly gestate children. That's all females. Yeah. The if, problem
1: is they don't believe in biological sex. They don't believe there's such a thing as right, females. Female a lot is of people calling for these language change. Yeah. Right.
0: And it, th- there's like this great irony where it's taken so long for medicine and society to focus on women's health issues. And I I can sort of see, like, this is not an issue that I get super mad about. It's just not. I can see the argument, like, it's not hard for me to steel man this. Yes, it is true that all people of a certain phenotype can get pregnant. That includes trans men. It's not hard for me to see that. Language evolves. That's true. There are these other more well-accepted cases where we change the language to be more inclusive that don't bother me. Things like, you know, mail carrier instead of mailman, spokesperson instead of spokesman,
1: whatever. It's just, but it's it's fundamentally different because all that is is a recognition that women can be spokeswomen and right. mailmen can be mail. It's just – it's entirely different because the whole point of talking about pregnant women or women's access to tampons is there. there is – it's so weird that we have to say this. Humans are sexually dimorphic, and the vast majority of people are male or female, and males and females have different needs, and one group has historically dominated the other. And again, even if someone doesn't identify as a woman, they are still female if they're in need of these services. And the fact that we – it's just – it's its all just word games, and it's word games that I think comes at a pretty steep cost because it makes the left look – so stupid and so hypersensitive. And how do you build a politics where you can't even use words like mother and women? It's just such a waste of – of what's the point of any of this?
0: Well, and this – and I've said this before. Many other people have said this. This never applies to men. Uh, somebody sent me a, a Twitter thread uh that just has examples of people using the term terms like birthing birthing person, but also using terms like men because men are never subject to this bullshit. like here's an example. This is from someone named Becca Graham. I don't know who this person is, but blue check mark on Twitter. Normalize men who date birthing people getting very re- reversible vasectomies the same way we normalize birthing people who date men getting removable IUDs. Birthing what people, is that, but what men. Does that sentence, I don't can actually you read that one more time. Normalize men who date birthing people getting reversible vasectomies. So this means normalize straight men getting vasectomies, the same way we normalize birthing people who date men getting removable IUDs. <laughs>
1: I love that you could you could use men. You just it's so it's so true. Also, someone else pointed out that the Lancet like four days ago tweeted out something about men, but they can't use women. It's just it's so stupid.
0: Here's another one. This is from the website Healthline. Headline Human papillomavirus, HPV in men. Published on the same day. Healthline. Everything you need to know about HPV in Vulva owners.
1: Vulva owners. Men, my Volvo Katie, my vulva broke down. I had to take it back <laughs> to the dealership.
0: <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Those German models, okay,
1: <laughs> German vulvas.
0: Yes, men can have HPV. Vulva owners can have HPV. Uh, you're about to say you're so, so tired, aren't you?
1: I'm so tired, y'all. Y'all,
0: you're I'm so tired. So tired, y'all. So tired. Anyway, we'll post a link in the show notes to the ACLU or to the Atlantic interview with the ACLU person, not a woman person, who uh, disagrees with using the term "woman" in the show notes.
1: Okay, Katie, it's time for uh, personals, right?
0: It is. Unfortunately, it is time for the segment of the show where we make love connections.
1: We should say we're having major tech problems. So I am talking into my phone. <laughs> Next to my microphone, this is a a $15 billion operation, yet this is what we're reduced to.
0: This is what Spotify got for their $100 million. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, you had a story about our personals before we get into the personals themselves?
0: Yes. Okay, so as long-time listeners will know, this is a perk for our patrons, a perk that has since been canceled because it was so fucking aggravating and such a bad idea. Okay, Jesse, do you remember an ad that we got a couple weeks ago from a man named... Feral but housebroken, 65 years old in the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember that.
0: Okay, <laughs> I'm sure you do. The ad begins, 65-year-old male seeks Bay Area female similarly amused by social justice justice It concludes, over-educated but under-sophisticated, I have spent much of my life in remote places overseas and have aggressively avoided absorbing any pop culture since the Jefferson airplane broke up. Have not watched TV since high school. Still worrying about Brad and Jen. Okay, Jesse. So this week I got the following email to barpodpersonals at gmail.com. Just wanted to let you guys know that I adore the show and I thought I couldn't love it more. But today I got to hear my dad's personal ad and wow, oh wow. I'll be able to tease him through this at least through Christmas. At first, I didn't make the connection that he was a well-traveled 65-year-old Californian. The fact that 65 is, at best, a curious estimation of his age is one reason. But then he made the <laughs> same joke he's made every time we've been in the supermarket checkout uh, line near the tabloids since he, since I was eight. I thought Brad and Jen was our joke. Alas, I hope he finds his Bay Area turf.
1: Aw, oh, that is so poignant and funny and cute.
0: It's a family affair. Block number Report, it is a family affair. She did give me per- permission to read this. She said that her mom, the parents are divorced. Her mom and her sister also listened to the show. So hopefully uh, they can bond over this.
1: Maybe they can get back together out of their love of our show.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> how divorce together. works, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Should we uh, read some new personal ads?
1: Yeah, and, and just so that if you're not in the market for finding love, if you're one of those lucky people and you want to skip this, we're going to set a timer and read these for five minutes. So if you don't want to hear them, uh, skip ahead five minutes. Let's go. Alexa, set timer for five minutes. Okay. A man who shaves his beard for a woman deserves neither. 30-year-old male over-the-road truck driver seeking a woman who is willing to put up with my naysaying bullshit. Must not be a lot, Lizard. Hmm, that must be a trucking thing. Interests include philosophy, music, from experimental death metal to jazz classical, woodworking, cooking, hiking, speedrunning a game from the 90s, and general procrastination. Hoping to be out of the trucking industry in the next three years, possibly to open a woodworking shop. Currently living in northeast Georgia, but willing to relocate anywhere except the Midwest or southeast U.S. Nearby mountains are preferable. Joke about preferred pronouns. P.S. I hate my mustache. So that at least can happily be parted with.
0: New in Newport Beach. 33-year-old problematic and mustachioed man looking for a lady to groom in the new-to-me OC area. I have a good set of teeth and am safely described as 6'6". Enjoys movies no one likes, attachment disorders, and staying fit. Looking for a self-loathing professional with hippie aspirations to be outside with.
1: Subject header. Dash, dot, dash, dash, dot, dot, dash, dot, dash, dot, 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 dot. Chicago 30 Mail looking for the special someone willing to learn Morse code together so we can blink yikes at each other at parties when someone says something a bit too credulous. I've got no shortage of neuroses, but they balance each other out in a way one friend described as, quote, interesting. I'm into local theater, complicated board games, trying out new hobbies, and also I'm the worst thing ever, an amateur magician.
0: That self-awareness is good. Mormon recovering Bernie bro turned libertarian dank mean Lord looking for love in DC area. I'm a 31 year old Mormon PhD student at a DC university who is trying his best to stop being a childless disappointment to his super conservative MAGA boomer parents. Former Burmy bro, converted libertarian who is cool with either liberals or conservatives of the bar pod variety. Something of a homebody who prefers a nice stay stay in dinner and movie but is open to try fun new things on the town. If you're a woman looking for a religious nerd who begrudgingly loves talking politics, drops endless Simpson references, and enjoys the guilty pleasures of problematic dank memes, write me.
1: 30-year-old buddy Christ lookalike seeking my amigo Mary Magdalene in the ATL preferably no more than 20 minutes outside the perimeter. I have a good career, a working car, and I don't live with with any of my family. Let's be honest. If you're open to the idea of meeting someone through a podcast personal, you can't really hope for better than that. That's true.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Indiscreet, contrarian, anonymous, living in London. Gay male, 40 years old, European, heirs, blue eyes, and bleach blonde hair, that kind of thing. Currently writing a PhD after a string of high-profile career crises and near-death mountaineering experiences. I'm liable to bore you with anecdotes from these, so I'm looking for someone either more patient or just faster than me.
1: Brooklyn Burnett. 30-year-old Brooklynite brunette, but prematurely graying woman, seeks happily ever after, male or female i Am fun, ambitious with an edge, and seeking similar. Likes dogs and bubblegum pop. will make you soft if you make me happy. Trying to wring the most out of life before settling down or the next lockdown. She,
0: NC native military kid who owns a gun and works in STEM. Me, bohemian Marxist, Yankee carpetbagger pursuing a tragic human, humanities PhDs. We are late 20s, enjoy the outdoors, board games, bar hopping, live music, art galleries, and trying new things.
1: I was once told someone will marry you for your tits. Well, bar Pod listeners, could that someone be one of you? Recently single 29-year-old female seeking an intellectually curious, worldly, straight male partner for wacky misadventures and potential procreation. If you're a heterodox thinking Bojack Horseman watching agnostic Jew, then we might be a perfect match. Likes include live music, long walks in new places, heterodox podcasts and music and books, museums, traveling pre-COVID, and attempting to recreate Alice and Roman recipes. She may be canceled, but the anchovy shallot pasta lives on. Based in Washington, D.C., but I regularly visit Boston and Martha's Vineyard. Open to relocating, but ideally only to another Jewish enclave like NYC, L.A., etc. Looking forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, hopeful nihilist with great tits. Has it been five minutes yet? Yep, we are done. Uh Thank you as always to everyone who sent in personals. We're going to be done with these, I don't know, two or three weeks? God willing. How many marriages are we going to produce total, do you think? And how many murders? What's going to be our marriage to murder ratio?
0: I'm guessing – one-to-one. You know, I've been able to make a, a few observations based on the responses to these personal ads. And once again, if you want to respond to any of these ads, email us at blocked and reported personals. Wait, Nope.
1: Varpod per- no.
0: personals. <laughs> email us at varpodpersonals personals at gmail.com. And it's interesting to see who is getting the most responses. And Jesse, it's the person who said that she had great tits. Huge surprise.
1: <laughs>
0: who would have thought? I know. And then also people who have asked for like who were seeking platonic friendship have also gotten uh gotten a fair number of responses. But mostly it's the woman with great tits.
1: Some people are just pouring out their whole lives telling these <laughs> complicated stories out that one person's like, I have boobs. Yeah.
0: It says a lot about our listenership, I'd say.
1: Perverts, horny perverts, all of you
0: indeed all right what's next
1: uh you can always reach us at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com we have a subreddit reddit.com slash r slash blocked reported very fun times there and it seems to generate a good number of leads for us and story ideas we do keep an eye on it and then barpod.org for merch it's just it's crazy it's a huge business booming shirts tote bags what else do we have?
0: We have entire factories in China that are dedicated to just churning out our tote bags, mugs, Sweatshirts.
1: It's it's very efficient. Uh, and we um we've struck up a side deal with the Taliban. They have some American-supplied weapons that we're going to spray-paint, blocked, and reported onto. There's a lot going on.
0: Wouldn't that be amazing to see photos of Taliban fighters wearing blocked and reported hoodies? Somebody make that <laughs> I
1: mean, I mean, that's everything we're fighting for, right there. That's why we started this podcast. Akbar Arla. No. <laughs> <laughs> You wrote <laughs> That's not how you say it. Allahu Akbar, and we should say it. well, you Forever. can say it because you're Muslim. But I'm Muslim. Uh, inshallah is a great Arabic word that just means if God wills it. Um, what else, Katie? What am I missing?
0: We have a subscriber only program. If you go to Patreon.com/slash Blocked and Reported for just five dollars a month, you get three free extra episodes of this podcast every month. You also get Ask Me Anything's. You get Hangouts. You get direct access to Jesse's inbox. It is the deal of the century.
1: Yes, Patreon.com, the only place, the only place, Katie, to get premium content from us. For now. Hmm. All right. So this is like – we're a little bit late to this, but I just thought this story nicely summed up some stuff. Katie, what do you know about Ellen Powell?
0: I know that she was the – either the CEO – yeah, she was the CEO of Reddit. That's what I know about her.
1: She was the CEO of Reddit. Uh, before that, she worked at a powerful uh, Silicon Valley sort of venture capital firm called Kleiner Perkins. If I'm not – Switching the names around, Uh she had a failed lawsuit there about uh, gender inequity, gender discrimination. At Reddit, there was a fairly convoluted controversy that led to her stepping down involving – Dude,
0: I, I tried to parse this. Can you explain it? I did not – like I read like multiple articles about it and I still didn't understand what the fuck happened.
1: No, I generally can't explain it because I I tried to. It's actually not vital to this story, but it has to do with Reddit's moderation policies and with like some popular person getting banned. Um, And with different subreddits getting banned, gamers are involved and whatever gamer, gamers are involved, that's just a sign to me to stay away from a controversy. Uh, we'll include links to the show notes. It is, I, it is not easy to sum up. I did like try to get the quick bullet point thing, but a lot of people really hate her and she did receive some misogynistic harassment as a result of this. As she should. (laughs) Some, some well deserved misogynistic (laughs) harassment. Okay. So she's got a couple things about her. I, I went back and I read a piece in The Cut about her experience in Silicon Valley and what led to the lawsuit. And it is – she dealt with like a fairly hostile environment. This is also a story of like her being on the private plane, the billionaire's ride on and who's sitting where.
0: Was it Jeffrey Epstein's plane?
1: <laughs> it was not Jeffrey Epstein's plane. It was sitting on like, her
0: lap. That's what I want to know. <sighs>
1: It, it's sort of like the Sheryl Sandberg super privileged person type of feminism that I think has some major flaws, some of which I actually wrote about in my book. So I obviously we should. Oh,
0: wait, sh- are, this is a man criticizing feminism? <laughs> Jesse. Yeah.
1: I, um, that's not to say that if you're a, venture capital millionaire who is female, you should have to deal with harassment. No one should. But it's just – it's interesting who gets held up as like the avatars of feminism and it's unclear to me why Ellen Pau, what she has to do with like the the biggest problems in feminism, like the fact that women are treated horribly and shunted into really – I don't know. I I don't want to go on a whole like bleeding heart rant but that was just – rereading some of this stuff. That's what it reminded me of.
0: I'm going to have to go back through this episode and bleep every time you use the W word, just so you know.
1: Yeah, sorry. I So this, this person, this body with a vagina and their experiences at Reddit.
0: I prefer to call them cunts.
1: <laughs> so Ellen Powell got like really into like some weird – I guess radlib, for lack of a better word, like radlib fixations. Uh, she got really into incels. So she had one Wired article called the perverse incentives that help incels thrive in tech. I don't know where to begin with this. Incels are involuntary celibates. They're these, these sad sacks online who feel like they can't get laid. A couple of them plotted or committed violent acts, but it's mostly just like these very pathetic, often angry communities and it's – there became a little – do you think it's fair – safe to say that this was a little bit of a moral panic, the three months when everyone was talking about how dangerous incels are? Oh,
0: absolutely. I don't think it was a little bit of a moral panic. It was a huge moral panic. I mean we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. I referenced um, a recent episode on Megan Downs' podcast, The Unspeakable. She had a recent interview with a woman who – has a podcast about incels. Um, and it was really quite worth listening to. And her argument is basically that the media doesn't understand these communities and doesn't speak the language. And, um, there's a lot of catastrophizing. And of course, there were these like edge violent cases, um, some of which were connected to incel forms and some of which weren't at all. That all got sort of chalked up to, to, uh, incels online.
1: Yeah, and and obviously you can't talk about like the raw probability of like some bad fate befalling you cuz people people aren't robots. But the fact is on the list of things to worry about being assaulted by an incel is like getting eaten by an alligator territory. It's that right.
0: You're more likely to end up in a a chapter of Noah Berlosky's ebook than you are to get killed by an incel.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just not uh it's not really a thing. So her best tweet on this was CEOs of big tech companies, you almost certainly have incels as employees. What are you going
0: to do about it? Oh, my God. I have an idea. I have an idea. Have a mixer. Just
1: imagine like (laughs) HR going around and asking every male employee, when did you last ejaculate inside a woman? It's just like fucking – I just need to read it one more time. CEOs of big tech companies, you almost certainly have incels as employees. What are you? What are you going to do about it? I'm gonna fucking. I'm gonna round them up and kill them. That's what I'm gonna do. Someone
0: needs to do something about the incel menace.
1: Katie, you know what they say? If you're at a company and you don't know who the incel you is, you're the incel. It's probably. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my god, Jesse.
1: I am way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's I'm you. way more – Realistically, like there's certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a piece on the Times in the Times, uh, September fifteenth. The Elizabeth Holmes trial is a wake up call for sexism in tech. Katie, two sentences on Elizabeth Holmes.
0: Um, Elizabeth Holmes was the Theranos founder. Wore a black turtleneck, like Steve Jobs. Affected a very deep voice and talk
1: like
2: this. Yeah,
0: and uh, is now facing a criminal trial for defrauding people.
1: Yeah, so she had she was this darling of Ellen Powell's world of the of. Silicon Valley because she had supposedly developed this revolutionary technique for blood testing with just a little pinprick of blood that was going to be in drug stores everywhere. Huge amounts of money flowed into this. I think the uh, company was valued at $9 billion. It turns out much like us in this podcast, nothing worked. It just the, – right. the entire thing just fucking – it was an entire scam to the point where people would drop off their blood or have blood taken at these stations Um and then Theranos would just go use standard blood testing to get them their results. Uh the Elizabeth Holmes lied about this technology being used on the battlefield in Afghanistan. Some people had to deal with potentially false results, people with serious health conditions. So this was like, this is not the kind of thing where it's like, ha, 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 that's funny. She scammed them. It's like a pretty serious thing to scam people about. I mean,
0: it's a little funny, but yes. It's
1: <laughs> not ha, ha funny, but yeah, a little bit.
0: Um, so,
1: so in this Times article, she basically talks about how the world of tech is sexist and how it favors men and sort of risk taking and, and, you know, uh overblown promises. But then she contrast contrasts that with the case of Elizabeth Holmes and she writes, quote, But after it was revealed that Theranos was not transparent when its blood testing equipment failed, it became clear that the company would be the exception that proves the rule that tech chief executives rarely face the full consequences of the harm they caused. That is the only place in the article where she describes what Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos actually did. Just the phrase, was not transparent when its blood testing equipment failed. Katie, this reminds me of uh, the events that started World War II when there was a misunderstanding involving Hitler and the border of Poland.
0: <laughs> yes, that's about the level of analysis that she provides here.
1: So it, it, it's just sort of a re- A, it's a ridiculous way to describe what happened because you're hiding from readers what actually happened. B, Holmes was indicted alongside Ramesh Sunny Balwani, her romantic partner, Scandal. He's male. So she was literally indicted alongside a male, and the Times publishes an article saying men wouldn't get published for stuff like this. Do you think there's a case that, like – I mean, should this be correct? I I guess to me, I don't – I try to use that whole thing of, like, this never should have been published sparingly, but this seems like maybe that – category of like, they just should not have published this because it's such a ridiculous argument that is so easily refuted by the actual facts.
0: I mean, I don't think the New York Times should never print bad arguments. Bad arguments are a part of life. Everybody should be allowed to make them. I do think an editor should have pushed her harder on some of these arguments. Like, she has this weird section in the piece that has basically nothing to do with Theranos about Juul, the vaping company. And the New York Times did a stealth edit of this, which is just incredibly unethical so here's how the paragraph uh this section read when it was published in june 2019 congress launched an investigation into Juul's part in the youth nicotine epidemic including efforts to market its product as safe to children by february 2020 a report from the centers for disease control and prevention showed that 68 people in the u.s had died from lung injury associated with the use of vaping products OK, so this is has nothing to do with Theranos at all. Her point is that the CEO of this company should be uh, held responsible for this. Jesse, do you remember the, the like vaping crisis?
1: I remember – no, not really. I remember that there were some arguments that it was overblown and that there was confusion between like uh, legit products like Juul versus the sort of um, – you know, fake stuff, you can get a bodega or stuff, some of which might actually be dangerous.
0: Right. So basically what happened is that black market vapes, THC vapes, and some nicotine vapes that had, I believe the product was um vitamin E acetate, like a, a cutting agent in them, were causing all of these like horrific lung injuries and yes, dozens of deaths. This had nothing to do with Juul, nothing to do with Juul. Nothing. This came from fucking like black market Chinese products that were not regulated the way that Juul is regulated. I did a lot of reporting on this because this was a huge deal in Washington state, Washington state. This was one of the things that made me think like, what the fuck is wrong with public health people? Because public health authorities did things like take, they, they conflated these two issues, the vaping, the, the vaping injuries and flavored vapes, things like mango vape, cotton candy vape, which are apparently kids are attracted to. So they use the vaping crisis as a way to ban flavored vapes, two totally separate issues. And I was following this, and I was going to these public health meetings, and it was just like, what are you guys doing? These are two different fucking issues. Anyway, so that's how the paragraph read when it was published. Now, the part about... Uh, the lung injuries has been completely erased from the, from the from the editorial or from the piece. And now it says – instead of that, it says, this summer, Juul agreed to pay $40 million to settle the first of many lawsuits claiming that the company's marketing practices fueled widespread nicotine ad- addiction among young people. And there's nothing – there's no correction. That's really bad.
1: Yeah, that's a really bad stealth edit because anyone who read it the first time would have assumed that it's Juul – and again, I don't – you're an actual vapor i've never vaped
0: don't say i'm a vapor i thought you were a vapor no i vape weed i don't vape tobacco I th- okay well how I'm dare bonkers. you
1: but the yeah anyone who read the first version <laughs> anyone who read the first version would have thought that the jewel products were causing uh deaths in my understanding would you say is there no evidence or little evidence that they've caused any deaths not There's really no,
0: not all 67 of those deaths were black market vitamin acetate, uh, vitamin. I believe it was vitamin E acetate. I might be getting the the particular substance wrong, but yes, this had nothing to do with Juul. Nobody was dying because of Juul products. So,
1: Pow also the other insane line she had was. Remember the accusations of harassment, privacy violations, price gouging, misleading advertising, and any of the other dozens of scandals at Uber? How about the genocide incited on Facebook in Myanmar or its engagement-centric approach that led to the proliferation of anti-vaccination propaganda on the platform? Neither Mr. Kalanick – that's the the, uh, Uber guy – nor Mark Zuckerberg has faced any significant legal consequences – It's just weird because Elizabeth Holmes isn't just like facing vague legal consequences for like people don't like – she did very specific things that appear to be illegal. Obviously, if Mark Zuckerberg were – i I'm not going to defend Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg, but these are just – this is what I mean by you need good editing. It's clearly very different to be like, why hasn't Zuckerberg faced legal consequences for the – Unintended consequences of the free flow of information that's obviously very different
0: I mean this makes me feel like this woman might not be very smart, honestly, which is sort of a main thing to say but But if somebody hasn't committed an actual crime, something that is illegal, they should not be charged with the crime and she says this in uh, in another paragraph. Questionable, unethical, even dangerous behavior has run rampant in male-dominated world of tech startups. Though never charged with crimes, WeWork's Adam Neumann and Uber's Travis Kalanick hype their way into raising over $10 billion to their companies, claiming they would disrupt their stagnant, tired industries. Hyping their way into raising over $10 billion isn't illegal no. fraud is illegal.
1: It's it's also like it's sort of missing her point, the point for her to blame it on sexism when it's really like her whole fucking sector is broken and is full of charlatans. Like, that's the problem. It's not like because they're males because, I mean, Elizabeth Holmes did what males do. She just actually broke the law, too. Um, I guess. So I think it's fine for The Times to publish wrong. It's uh, There's nothing wrong with wrong arguments, but when you get to the point where you're saying a man never would have been charged with this, when a man was charged with this, that's like so wrong that to me that like requires a correction or a clarification, which is not forthcoming.
0: For sure. Between that and the, and the jewel section, this is just a, total fucking disaster and the editors should be ashamed of themselves. I'm really like, the fact that they're, that they didn't correct, didn't issue an actual correction for the Jewel thing is, is pretty shocking for the New York Times. Like not even a, like not even at this post has been updated. There's nothing.
1: This, uh, reminds me of, I was arguing on a, in a listserv that I, I had to leave because it got so crazy. I was arguing about the Tom Cotton thing. The entire like upper reaches of the New York Times editorial page was incinerated by like a resignation and a firing. James Bennett was basically fired. Jim Dow, his deputy was reassigned to another part of the paper because they ran a column by Tom Cotton saying send in the troops, uh, in response to the unrest last summer. Um, It it led to hysteria. It led to Times staffers saying that the column put their black colleagues in danger. It's very unclear how that's the case. This was at a time when even 37 percent of black Americans supported bringing the military in. which is sort of a different question than what Cotton was saying you should do it even if the governors and mayors don't want you to, blah, blah, blah. The point is I disagreed with the column, but it was not this radical far-right thing on the axis of American public opinion led to this huge blow-up that, that sort of temporarily destroyed the editorial page, huge blow-up at the Times. A lot of people argued that the Times held itself to lower editorial standards for right-wing column. What I told people I was in this argument with was like, in my experience, it's much more common for the editorial page to um publish blatantly false or ridiculous stuff when it's making lefty social justicey arguments i i I just think that happens all the time and and it's sort of undeniable. I think that's probably because they publish so much stuff every day on the website,
0: yeah, there's always going to be a certain amount of of shit uh when you're publishing lots and lots of content but they're this was in print this wasn't just like a digital thing this was also in print like they need to have higher standards than they do
1: yeah yeah i think um they should have they should rethink this and they should do better do
0: better times
1: yeah i think that that was about it i just i, I did want to talk about that anything else jump out at you about this about this uh vagina having body
0: <laughs> i also think this is one of the cases where the headline really did not serve the argument I don't think her argument was good. I think it was slightly more nuanced than the headline um, would lead one to believe because she's not saying that the only reason Elizabeth Holmes is on trial is because of sexism. She's saying basically these guys are corrupt as well and they also need to be held to account, but she doesn't have any actual examples of – Right, right. And she does – completely ignore the fact as you mentioned that there's a man on trial and and holmes is apparent i haven't been following the trial but apparently holmes is her defense is that she was a naive she's like doing like reverse feminism where she's saying she was this naive yeah the damsel. yeah right that it was all her older yeah. um you know more powerful boyfriend uh who should be held responsible for this so in so it's like it's like feminism judo like Pretending to be a knave, an order to. Hit. I'm the
1: big, I'm the big boss lady. I'm right. the girl boss, and then you do all this stuff. Rock help. I was uh, gaslit. She's leaning out. You got to lean out sometimes.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. The trial itself is will probably be interesting. Um, she just had a baby too. Interesting, uh, interesting decision there. She must be feeling optimistic that she won't spend the next decades in prison.
1: Katie, she claims she had a baby.
0: Hey, I mean, we don't even know if this is a birthing person.
1: <laughs> Anything else, Katie? I think that's it. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, girl, you'll be a body with a vagina soon.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, in the immortal words of Bob Marley, no uterus havers, no cry.